Philippians 1 and reading from verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far the better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thank you, Grace. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you for the privilege um, of being here, worshipping you, and we thank you for these few snatch minutes that we have together. We ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word and change us, make us uh, more like Jesus. In your name, amen. That first line of our passage is quite remarkable, isn't it? Paul is in prison, probably chained to a Roman soldier, and he writes to his friends, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is a complete nightmare. It's the worst thing that I've ever had to do, the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. No, wait. That's what I would have said if I were Paul. If I was arrested today for preaching about Jesus and thrown into prison, when I was allowed to make my phone call, I would say, I want you to know, Mum, that this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. 
But what does Paul actually say? I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Everyone knows that I'm here because of Jesus. And for Paul, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Which is extraordinary when you think that Paul is stuck in prison, facing the very real possibility of execution for his beliefs. You'd think that he might be keeping quiet about the whole Jesus thing, that he might be feeling a little bit ashamed, concerned about what his friends and family are thinking, or just worried about the negative impact this might have on the Christian movement, or scared about what might happen to him. But we don't get any of that in this letter. In fact, it is impossible to find any evidence here of self-pity or of fear. Instead, we find Paul overflowing with gratitude, with love, with determination, with passion for Jesus Christ and for his fellow brothers and sisters, and for the opportunity he has to witness to those around him in prison. Paul wanted everyone to hear about Jesus. And we can see this in verses 12 to 13, where Paul is delighted that everyone in prison knows why he is there. They know that he has been arrested for speaking about Jesus. And his arrest has caused all sorts of people to think about Jesus who perhaps hadn't seriously considered him before. Now, all the soldiers with special responsibility for Caesar's household, perhaps even Caesar himself, have had Jesus Christ brought to their attention. His arrest has enabled the message of grace to reach people it had not reached before, and Paul is really excited about this new opportunity. And as well as wanting to tell others about Jesus himself, Paul wants other followers of Jesus to be confident about sharing the gospel too. So in verse 16 we see that Paul is delighted that his being in prison has actually spurred on other Christians to be braver, to step out and to follow Paul's example. And this deep desire of Paul's to have the name of Jesus preached more widely, whether by himself or by others, is so strong that it overrides any concern he might have for himself. Did you notice in verses 15 to 18 how he mentions that some people who are envious of his ministry have started upping their evangelistic game in the hope that Paul will get into more trouble? I mean, I would have thought that would have been a bit difficult for Paul to swallow, but instead he shrugs it off. In verse 18 he says, what does it matter? Whatever their motive, lots of people are out there talking about Jesus, and I couldn't be happier about it. So Paul is fearless about being in prison because of his delight at the opportunity it has presented for spreading the news about Jesus. And he is also fearless about facing death. It turns out that Paul doesn't mind whether he lives or dies. In verses 21 to 23, he says that life and death are both attractive options. If he lives, he's got plenty to get his teeth into, people to witness to, people to encourage and build up in faith. But if he dies, he goes to be with Jesus. And he is so looking forward to being with Jesus that actually, if in the end Caesar does decide to execute him, he will be content to die. 
But even while he's just made this extraordinary statement, he says, verses 24 and 25, that even though he's prepared to die, he knows that it would be better for the church if he were to live so that he can support them. Nowhere in this logic do we find a concern for Paul's own safety, for his earthly interests. There is here no fear for himself, only a remarkable concern for the interests of Jesus Christ and for others, that they also should be fearless in the face of opposition. How on earth can someone not be afraid to die? And I mean, I know that Christians are meant to put Jesus first, but how can a person actually think more about Jesus than about his or herself? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to get to the bottom of what Paul had that most people don't. I want to know how it was that Paul was so apparently unconcerned about what other people might think or about what might happen to him. And I want to know because I spend quite a lot of time worrying about what might happen to me in the future. And I spend quite a lot of time worrying about what other people think of me. I find it hard to put first the needs of my husband and my daughter, let alone the people that I work with or meet day to day. And it doesn't take very much for me to be worrying about my health. I'm confident that if I were in prison facing death, I would be in a bit of a state. And I look at Paul and think, I want a bit of what he's got. And I wonder what it is that you get worried about. Does life feel a bit overwhelming at the moment? All of us here will be juggling competing agendas, having to choose between a rock and a hard place, carrying heavy responsibilities at work, at home, in our communities. So to have Paul come along and challenge us on our witness to our friends and colleagues may well feel like a step too far. Doesn't he understand how complicated life is? Doesn't he know how indifferent or maybe even hostile the people you work with are towards your faith? Doesn't he know how tricky it is in today's environment to talk about Jesus? The responsibilities and the complications and the wisdom that is needed are real. But our fear doesn't make it any easier for us. If you're anything like me, you will have got into the habit of allowing fear of what might happen to you to keep you beneath the parapet. We allow fear of what other people will think or of what might happen to our career to prevent us from making the most of the limited opportunities we have to witness to Jesus in what we say and do. Those small moments we have to say a word or two, to point gently to the God that we are trusting in, they come rarely. And so often when they do come, we drop the ball. Imagine what life could be like if we were a bit more like Paul. How would we act if we had no fear or even just less fear? How can we be more like Paul in the way we live under pressure? What is Paul's secret? Well, there is a golden thread that weaves throughout this letter and which leads us to the answer. And this golden thread is about Jesus Christ and the sacrificial love that Paul had discovered in him. In chapter 2 of this letter, Paul sets down a poem extolling the way in which Jesus left his divine glory, his perfect life with God, and entered into the mess and suffering of human experience. Paul describes how Jesus willingly chose to die 
so that you and I might find freedom from our sin and friendship with God. And Paul knew that he did not deserve to find this friend freedom and this friendship. As we learn in the book of Acts, Paul had been very much opposed to Jesus and the church. He had had Christians imprisoned and executed, in fact. So when he actually met Jesus and realised his mistake, he was blown away that Jesus would reach out to him and forgive him. This sacrificial love that Jesus had shown Paul had transformed his worldview. It had completely changed the way he thought about himself and others. All of us will have at least one person in our life for whom we would be prepared to suffer. We are prepared to be inconvenienced and to go out of our way for them. We are prepared to put up a lot to help them. And we do that because we love them. Paul was prepared to go through prison and even death because he loved Jesus. And he was prepared to forego comfort and success because he loved his fellow Christians. Paul was prepared to risk the loss of reputation, of comfort, of ambition, if it meant that Jesus Christ's interests were to be honoured. Because of the love that Paul had found in Jesus Christ, Everything Paul did and said was to be for him. But why did this make Paul fearless? Well, Paul knew that the one thing that really mattered to him could never be lost. Paul knew that the worst things that the world could throw at him, including death, could never separate him from the person he valued most. And so he was able to stand and resist the temptation to stop following Jesus without fear of those who opposed him, because they could take nothing from him that he was not prepared to lose. And within this worldview, loss can mean opportunity, opportunity for the gospel. For Paul, entering prison meant that he got to meet a whole load of new people who hadn't yet heard about Jesus. More than this, Within this worldview, the loss of self-interest does not mean destruction of the self. We think that if we cannot have our desires and ambitions fulfilled, life will not be worth living. If I were to be on the receiving end of negative comments of public criticism, I would find that very hard, because I value my own reputation highly, too highly. When I think about how I would cope in prison, I find myself worrying about hair dryers and nutrition and my own safety, because I value my own comfort highly. But on Paul's list of priorities, reputation and comfort came below Jesus, probably quite a way below. And so his reputation and his comfort could be risked for the sake of others coming to know Jesus. If the person we most value is Jesus, then when people oppose us, we know we are safe, ultimately, because what we value cannot be taken away from us. And that's not to say that suffering won't impact us. No one enjoys being mocked or dismissed for what they believe. No one finds being overlooked um, career-wise for their faith a fun experience. But if we love Jesus more than we love ourselves, then the impact of the suffering will be lessened somehow. I don't mean to say that Paul wasn't hurt by his suffering, 
but ultimately he found himself emotionally and spiritually protected by the knowledge that whatever he went through, he could never be separated from Jesus. But if Paul had valued anything more than Jesus, he would have been very vulnerable to fear because comfort, reputation and ambition can be taken away from us. Suffering and death do bring these things to an end. So if you and I put our trust in ourselves, or if we look ultimately to our career or to a relationship to fulfill our need for purpose, then we are going to experience fear when people oppose us, if we perceive that these things are at risk. And so if we want to learn how not to give way to fear, if we want to learn how to react with wisdom and grace when challenges come our way, the answer is to make Jesus our highest goal, our deepest desire, the foundation on which we stand. Because he will never be shaken. And if he will never be shaken, then neither will we. So the question for us all this lunchtime is, is Jesus my highest priority? Am I loving him more than I love myself? If you would not call yourself a Christian here today, then let me encourage you strongly to seriously consider these questions for yourself. As far as we know, Paul never left prison and was executed in Rome under Julius Caesar. Did Paul make the right call? And if you would call yourself a Christian, then you will know how easy it is to allow the worries of this life to change our perspective, to move Jesus down our list of priorities. Let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, to consider Paul's example. Is Jesus your highest priority today? The decision to love Jesus is more than ourselves, is not something that we can find within ourselves or create ourselves. That is why we see in verse 9 that Paul is constantly praying for his brothers and sisters that God's love would overflow in their hearts to enable them to live for Christ. I know that I need to pray this for myself, to ask the Spirit to change my heart, to give me a deeper love for Jesus, so that I will be fearless in my pursuit of his interests. Let me pray for us now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrificial love that you have shown towards us. And we acknowledge our own inability to honour and love you as you call us to do. You know how we put ourselves before you and before others. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask also for the help of your spirit to understand more deeply, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, the significance of your love, to receive and acknowledge you as our first love, our highest priority. And may the security that we find in your love free us from fear and give us courage in the face of opposition 
courage to be faithful to you. Amen.